0: Welcome to the 2024 series of the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, author, publisher, and your podcast host. With over one million plays, thanks to you, listeners, readers, writers, creatives, teachers, librarians, and book lovers, thank you for coming along for the journey where we bring you relaxed and real conversations about writing and creativity. If you love an episode, you can leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook at Danny V Words Nerds Podcast. Or you can check out my brand new website designed by Gin Co. at dannyv.com.au Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Gabriel Bergmoser is an award-winning Melbourne-based author and playwright. His first young adult novel, Boone Shepherd, was shortlisted for the Reading's Young Adult Prize, and his second YA book, The True Colour of a Little White Lie, was published in 2021. Andromache Between Worlds is Gabriel's first middle-grade book. Of course, Gabe is also author of adult horror and thriller novels, The Hunter, The Inheritance, and The Caretaker welcome back Gabe
1: thanks for having me back Danny
0: first middle grade before I ask you for an elevator pitch like you've sort of been able to well from this angle it looks easy to flip around between genres that are quite different how did you feel about middle grade because it's completely different to what you've done before
1: well look if I'm being 100 percent honest it, it isn't it isn't and, and what I mean by that is the Boone Shepherd novels, you know, my first, my first trilogy of books before I was with Harper, they were marketed by the publisher as young adults. And they, I mean, they've always sort of sat in the young adult section of bookstores, they and and libraries and everything. The first one was nominated for the Readings Young Adult Prize, which was a pretty, you know, definitive YA designator. But the reality is that in terms of tone content and what they were exploring, they were more traditionally middle grade. You know, it wasn't really about. You know, uh, difficult issues that teenagers were dealing with. There were books that I think were predominantly enjoyed by sort of eight to twelve-year-olds, at least based on the feedback I got. So, while this is technically my first middle grade, I I think I've kind of done it a bit before. And you know, while I'm very proud of the Boone Shepherd books, there's a lot that I I guess a lot of things I did in those books, which came out between 2016 and 2018 that I feel like I kind of got a chance to refine in Andromache and I kind of got a chance to explore similar themes, similar ideas, a similar tone, but in a way that has the benefit of quite a bit more experience in there as well. So. While it is technically my first middle grade, I don't think it's really my first middle grade, if that yeah. makes sense.
0: But it is quite fluid, isn't it? You know, when you're writing junior fiction or you're writing middle grade and you're writing YA, sometimes the lines are blurred, particularly with readers, because I know my son's 11, but he's reading up and down, you know, like he's reading um, The Hunger Games and he's reading um, Scythe, but then he's also reading um, Whippy Kid. You know? <laughs> so some readers are really got a, that breadth anyway.
1: Well, absolutely, and I also think that there's this um, tendency when people are considering writing for middle grade where they feel like it requires a certain toning down or like, oh, the difficult themes and ideas and concepts that I would explore in an adult book, I can't do for kids because kids aren't capable of comprehending it, which isn't true. Like, anybody who's read any of the best middle grade books around knows that that's not true. Um, I mean, kids crave dark, challenging, interesting material. And books yeah, are exactly the place space, for to explore well, it. Yeah, 100%, it's a safe space. 100%. to explore 100%. these things. And that's the thing. It's like that's not a term that like in its general usage I like, but I, I always say books are a safe space to explore difficult ideas they, and yep. that they, they should be. Mm-hmm. So while people ask me what's it like going from something like The Caretaker or The Hunted down to something like Andromache, and I, I say down to, which implies a sort of, you know, a, a denigration <laughs> of some kind, but it really isn't because I don't think that thematically speaking or in terms of the more challenging ideas in Andromache they any different or any more full-on or important to me than what I've written about in my adult books
0: yeah just less killing maybe
1: that's it it's like when, <laughs> when people say what's the difference I go well you can't have as many swear words and you can't have as many decapitations but or outside sex. of that or sex, like that. True. yeah so you cut true, those things no. out <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: You can't so maybe you could write a, a a middle grade version of the hunted. I'm not sure there would be much left though, okay.
1: Well, yeah, there might be a couple <laughs> of scenes that could maybe get through uncensored, but let's see. Novella? <laughs> yeah, maybe a short story possibly.
0: <laughs> Alright, so hit me with an elevator pitch. Andromache Between Worlds. And can I just say the cover is gorgeous. And anyone who hasn't read it, you should Google it right now because it's just it's a gorgeous cover, isn't it?
1: Look at it. I love you- it. I think that almost every author is a little bit in love with their book covers because, because <laughs> why, why wouldn't you be, right? Yeah, because, you know, yeah. it's, it's your book, it's your story, it's something you spent so much time on, and there's a design that somebody far more talented than you has put on it. But in the case of Andromache, I don't even think bias comes into it. I think I have one of the prettiest book covers. It is. It's beautiful. TV. Like, it's yeah, just so it. eye-catching. It's so striking. Jessica Liu, who designed it, has just done the most incredible job. When I first saw that come through... I was like, I get to have that on the front of my book. <laughs> like, holy crap! What have I done right here? <laughs> you know, like it's a, it's an incredibly, incredibly. Yeah, she's captured sort
0: of, it really well—the parallel worlds—and she's done it really absolutely. beautifully.
1: Like it's, mm. and it's one of those things where sometimes, yeah, you know, sometimes there's a feeling when you read a book and you go, "Well, the cover didn't really sell what the book was." And I think that's also true, like in adult books as well, where the cover tends to be a little bit more mysterious. But in middle grade, you don't. You don't have to hold back as much you can just like Mm -hmm. present this is what the book is and this image which is so eye-catching and striking and like just heightened enough to show how just heightened enough the story is it it couldn't be more perfect for the book so Elevator pitch. Hmm. Thank you for before. remembering my
0: question. I've just been asking multiple questions at once, so. Well, it's what <laughs> always happens with us, Danny.
1: Where we start talking about something, and then I go, "Hang on, what was the question?" We've gone down so many rabbit holes now that I'm not even sure what we were talking about. The to begin challenge with. is
0: for me not to look at my questions once and just keep rabbiting on for half an hour. I'm sure we'll be right.
1: Oh, that's it. We can just riff. We're we're there now. <laughs> um, okay, so. This is becoming a bit of a tradition with us, standing where usually when we speak, it's like the first interview I've done about the book and I go, oh, this is the first time <laughs> I've had to pitch the book. But I'll do my best. Basically, Andromache Between Worlds tells the story of Andromache Peters. She's a 14-year-old kid and she's the daughter of two world-famous adventurers who are revered everywhere. Everyone knows who they are. They saved the world some time ago. And essentially, Andromache has had to be brought up in their shadow with the sense that there is no world in which she can ever live up to them or be as good as what they were. On top of this, her father died when she was only two years old. She's never really known him, she's only ever been familiar with the legend of him, and her mother's become very distant and sort of grief-ridden ever since then. So she's extremely isolated, she's very lonely, and she doesn't really know who she's supposed to be in the shadow of these giants that have given, you know, birth to her. And then she finds out that her dad is not dead, he's trapped in a parallel universe. And the only way that he can be found is via a device that is attached to Andromache's hand that uses her DNA to open portals in other worlds near where her same DNA can be found. So to find him, she's going to have to go through several worlds most of which will not have him, but might have another version of herself, for example, or another version of her mother or other connections to her that will first force her to confront various parts of herself, her past, her identity, her parents, who they are and everything. All the while, there are dinosaurs, there are giant crabs, there are cowboys, there are evil pharaohs, there are sea monsters. There's just pretty much as much crazy, action-packed, insane Mm -hmm. stuff as I could think of to throw in this book. I mean, the joy of writing this was being like, how much fun can I have? Because there's an elasticity here in this genre that you don't really have in the adult stuff. Like I can't have a dinosaur walk in the middle of the (laughs) hunted and chase the characters out, but in Andromache Between Worlds, I absolutely can. They can
0: let loose in a different way. I love that. Totally,
1: totally.
0: And I've always sort of thought about parallel worlds as well, because there's no evidence to suggest they don't
1: exist, right?
0: So what was you thinking with the parallel world?
1: Look, it was kind of twofold. I mean. I've always loved the idea of parallel universes because I find it fascinating, but like anyone, you know, the older you get, I suppose the more you look back on the big defining moments or turning points in your life and you start to think, what if at that point I had turned left instead of right? What if at that point I'd made this choice instead of this one? And we've all had the experience of going to step out on the road just as a bus you know, Kareen's mm. past. The sliding doors moment. Totally. And you always think, what happened if I stepped on that road and got hit by a bus? You know, like that's that's a more morbid version of it. And for this book, I was thinking, the parallel worlds thing is really fun because obviously you can come up with the most insanely imaginative, over-the-top different universes you can think of. But at the same time, in reality, in each of the universe Andromache visits, there's always quite a difficult question at the core of it. So for example, in one world, it's a very crazy sort of steampunk type world. But what it's actually about is Tendromache meeting a version of herself who was not raised by her parents, who was Mm -hmm. raised by somebody very different. And what does that say about her? Because this other her couldn't be more different and divorced from who she is in ways both, both positive and negative. Or in another world, she meets a version of her mother who had never had kids. And Andromache's always had this sense that her mother didn't want her. And so she's confronted then with one of her worst fears, which is this version of my mother seems so much more happier and well-adjusted than the one who I know. And of course, in reality, it's more complicated than that. But each of these worlds kind of focuses a mirror on Andromache that forces her to face up to some difficult thing about her understanding of herself or the world she lives in. And that was really, really fun from a dramatic standpoint. And parallel universes do provide a really unique way to explore the, the, I suppose, the complexities of the character's identity, but also what made them the way they are, you know? Mm. I mean, how different could they have been had there been a different fork in the road? And that was just incredibly satisfying to explore, I suppose. Mm,
0: I love all those ideas, particularly of meeting different versions of yourself or different versions of your parents in parallel worlds. I think that's really interesting because I think we all do change depending on, you know, the choices that we make. So I find that really interesting. But I want to know, um, you know, you write scripts, you love theatre, you read, you write books of all different genres but you always have a lot of good ideas are these fed by creativity so is like your creativity feeds more creativity or how does how does the brain of gabe
1: work uh, i mean i wish i wish i had an answer to that but <laughs> I, I don't know it's like i just I often find myself thinking, you know, I've got a few ideas that have been in the bank for a very long time. And Andromache is one of them. I think I first came up with this idea in like 2013 or 2014 or something. And it's just kind of sat there on the shelf. There was one point where I tried to write it back in 2015. And I've still got the first draft of like the first three or four chapters sitting there somewhere. But it just just didn't work. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the voice. I couldn't find the characters. I couldn't find the tone or any of those things. Whereas this time around, when I sat down to write it, I thought, you know, I've always really liked that idea. I want to go back to it. I want to give it another go. And this time around, it just seemed to flow really, really naturally. And there's a quote I heard once, I don't know who said it, some very smart person, but the quote was something to the effect of, there is nothing in this world more powerful than an idea whose time has come. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are certain ideas that you can have well in the past, and then they sort of circle back around where you think to yourself, that was actually a really, really strong concept. What if I give that another go? And whether it's the time and place you're in, or whether it's the experiences you've had since you've had the idea, suddenly it can take on a new lease of life that it never had the first time you tried it. But in other cases, there are ideas that you almost have totally randomly out of nowhere, where you'll be, you know, on a walk or sitting by the beach or whatever, and something will strike you and you go, "Oh, what about that?" And then the more you think about it, the more it reveals to you, and the more it unfolds, and then you need to start writing it almost immediately. I mean, mm-hmm. that can happen too. Like my um my current adult novel I'm working on, High Rise, I had that idea. When I was in Europe last year, and I met with my publisher when I was over there, and just completely out of nowhere, I pitched her this idea, which was extremely underdeveloped. And she said, "Oh, hey, well, let's um, let's explore that, and let's do that." And the next thing, there's a contract, and I go, "Okay, well, I haven't developed, <laughs> I haven't developed this one at all. Like, I don't." Know where this goes. And so, you know, that's been a very, very quick turnaround mm. from concept to fruition. Whereas something like Andromache was a much longer turnaround. But I'm really glad I didn't try to force it back when I first had the idea because I think this time around, I knew what I wanted to talk about with it and mm. I knew what it was I wanted to explore, whereas I'm not convinced I did back in 2014, 2015.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting. I agree that some ideas take years and years and some ideas just come to you and you know, you can't force them, you can't force creativity, even though we have deadlines, etc. but it's really interesting how some ideas need more time to sort of percolate in your brain. What I did notice about what you said is that when you come up with ideas and this might've been an accident, but you said when you're on a walk, Or if you're at the beach, so it seems like when you're having that rested period is when your ideas come to you. Do you find that or are they just always, always there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the rested period certainly lends itself to ideas because your brain has the I guess the ability to wander and the ability to go to places it wouldn't otherwise because you're not under the same pressure you would be in different circumstances. So yeah, I think I think being rested or being on a holiday or being on a break is conducive to ideas, but as anyone who knows me knows i so rarely take breaks or holidays or any of those things that
0: i <laughs> was well, like i'm looking kind of... into a mirror game <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah, funny laughs> but at the same time you know i also think that stressful or anxious periods or being under a huge amount of pressure can also give birth to ideas as well yeah, yeah they, absolutely they be different types of ideas but frantic
0: ideas but <laughs> absolutely. they
1: can be just as strong
0: absolutely absolutely it's interesting because before we started recording we did talk about how our brains operate gabe and how we don't like to stop that's our natural sort of brain energy that she just keeps sprinting but then we thought maybe maybe a couple of rests throughout the year where we did nothing might be a good idea so i feel like we should call it out here just sort of because if you say it publicly then we have to kind of do it right
1: yeah that's it it kind of does give you an accountability <laughs> that you didn't have otherwise But i mean i know you were saying that taking a break over over sort of December, January, and going out to Byron and everything mm-hmm. just was enormously beneficial for you. And, yeah. and I sort of found the same thing because I forced myself not to do any writing over Christmas. And that did sort of help my brain, I suppose, unfold a little bit and sort of decompress and everything. And it did mean that when I came back to work earlier in the year, I did have a renewed focus and passion that I think was maybe sign sort of flag by the end of last year.
0: Mm, I like that. Yeah, I feel different, too. Um, but I'm sure that my anxiety will start to go. Wait, you're not anxious about anything. It's time to be anxious about something. Oh, it comes
1: back. It will not it will not, let it, it will not let you rest, basically. As much as you try to rest, it will always be there.
0: I'll just enjoy the day until it returns. Maybe it's still on holiday. Maybe I left it in Byron.
1: Hey, fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> no, I don't want Byron to have my anxiety. It needs to be somewhere else. <laughs>
1: Take a holiday well, to, like, Siberia or somewhere yeah, and just exactly. leave it up there.
0: <laughs> See ya. <laughs> now, I love in the beginning, because I was researching Andromache before we, you know, came together, but then I saw in the front of the book, which I must have missed when I read it, um, it comes from ancient Greece, Greek mythology, and I really like the nouns and then, you know, something funny you said them at the bottom, so I'm going to read it out. It says, the wife of Prince Hector in the story of the Trojan War a deadly amazonian woman referred to as the battler of men liked that one (laughs) Um, a victim sacrificed to the minotaur in the myth of theseus and a really annoying name that parents should think twice about giving their child (laughs) and courage
1: (laughs) well see it's so funny because when when i first pitched this book and i first sent the outline to it there was a bit of I suppose, nervousness at HarperCollins about the name Andromache. Because if you look at the way it's... It's a hard name to spell phonetically. You go, is that Andromache? Is it Andromache? Is it... You know, it can be a hard one to get your head around. Now, I'd always love the name Andromache because when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the story of the Trojan War. My... Favourite movie when I was like 13 was Troy. I watched that repeatedly. I could quote every single line. Over Christmas, incidentally, my brother's partner, who was also a huge fan of the film, her and I made everybody watch that film. We were just quoting every (laughs) line. My brother paused it and was like, if you two were going to just quote every single line, then we're Leave. turning this off. And so <laughs> the two of us just kind of sat there and every time there was a moment, like, you know, Brad put on the boat and we're just whispering, immortality, take it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I always loved that and I loved the Iliad. I love different versions of that story. And I always loved the name Andromache. I just thought it was such a cool name. And it is, as is mentioned in the definition there, the wife of Prince Hector in the story. So I thought Andromache is such a great name for a hero and I didn't really think of any reason for it. I just thought, I just liked the name. So early on, my publisher said, look, maybe we have a name that's a bit easy to pronounce. And I said, okay, I take your pitch that we need a name that's easy to pronounce, and I raise you one Hermione Granger. (laughs) 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 We had an entire generation who, for a while, they were saying Hermione. Hermione. Eventually, we all got our heads around it, and now she's one of the most iconic characters ever. So I was like, look, if kids can figure out Hermione, they can figure out Andromache, that's going to be fine. And they were completely fine with that. They completely agreed, but they said maybe we put like a little dictionary definition at the start of it to sort of ground kids and make it clear straight away what the pronunciation is, which I was fine with doing. But I sort of thought, well, hang on, how do I do that in a way that is, is beneficial? Because the only definition of Andromache I know of is the character from the, from the story of the Trojan War. So mm-hmm. what I just say, you know, Andromache, this is how you pronounce it. And it comes from the story of the Trojan War. And I was kind of thinking, well, what, what, does, that, what does that say about my character and my story? Yeah. How does that benefit it? So I did a little bit more digging, wondering if there was like a direct translation for the name Andromache. And then I found that throughout Greek mythology, there were several different Andromaches. There was the wife of Prince Hector, obviously. There was the victim fed to the Minotaur. There was the Amazonian battler of men. And that there was also a direct definition, which was courage. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, my God, for a story about a girl having to face up with different versions of herself and figure out who she is and figure out where she fits in the world and what her identity is what could be more perfect and and her <laughs> defining trait throughout the book is her courage and her determination and then I just thought well I'll add in the really annoying name that parents should think twice about because that's my character Andromache giving her a definition of regularly throughout the book bemoans the fact that she was given the name Andromache and everybody stumbles all over it and it's difficult and stuff which I thought was fun but then I put that at the front and it's so funny because now I look at it and I go it's just the perfect way to set up the book because mm. it actually does speak to the themes but also it kind of tells you who this character is. And yeah, character absolutely. By accident, yeah. only because. I was pushed to find this uh, this definition thing, which I never thought would work. But once I did, I was like, that's just one of those happy accidents where you just go, well, of course it had to be this name, even though previously it was only the same because I thought it was a cool name, you know?
0: <laughs> it's funny because I was wondering how you got it over the line with your publisher. because I thought, oh, I bet publishers think that's not a very friendly, friendly name no, for they, a were, character. they
1: were actually great about it. Like they certainly expressed concern initially. Yeah. But then after that, it was, it was total support. It was like, once I pointed out the Hermione connection, yeah, the The thing was, you know I don't ever believe in speaking down to kids and stories. I don't yeah. think that's constructive or helpful. and um and you know, it's like all the stuff we were sort of talking about before. and and with that in mind, you know, I don't think we should speak down to kids in terms of themes, but I also don't think we should speak down to kids in terms of vocabulary as long as yeah, you absolutely. Know, if it's a really obscure word. it's kind of explained what it means or how to pronounce it, then then that's fine.
0: Yeah. I love the I'll Raise You One Hermione Granger. <laughs> anytime
1: you want to include a really weird name in a kid's book, use she's that. your best friend. Bring her up and use her.
0: <laughs> I love that a lot. You can't argue with that. And everyone no, knows, not. like you said, iconic. Everyone knows, even if you haven't read Harry Potter, everyone knows Hermione Granger. So love that. Now, I wanted to know what's important when writing adventure and fantasy. You know, we've talked about. The sort of conventions that you use when you know, you're know you writing thriller or you're writing horror. So what are the kind of things that kids are expecting or readers are expecting when they open up an adventure or fantasy book?
1: Oh, look, I mean, I think humor is a, is a huge one and or, or at least in the middle grade sphere anyway. I mean, and I think about Artemis Fowl, I think about Harry Potter, I think about Alex Rider. All of these books had no shortage of peril and high stakes and dark themes, but they were always funny. And they weren't ever funny in a way that you know undercut the seriousness of the story what was going on they were funny because the humor was rooted in the characters and Mm -hmm. in this book i have the character of riley who is sort of andromache's best friend friend throughout the story and she was one of those you know those beautiful characters you get every now and then who just kind of writes herself and you don't really need to think about what she's going to say she just says what she says and she she was really valuable in sort of i guess deflating the more serious moments but never in a way that felt like me as the writer winking at the audience, but rather that's just what she would say in character, you know? So that was really helpful. I mean, secondly, obviously there's action, there's adventure, there's a fast pace. All of those things are really important. There should be a sense of being swept away from your normal life into Mm. some extremely exciting adventure. But I think the most important thing, which goes hand in hand with that, is that it has to mean something. It can't just be perpetual insane chaos there's got to be something grounding to it and so that's why I made sure that every world she visits as insane as they might be has to have some element that drives her story forward that drives her sense of self forward or potentially undermines or complicates her sense of self and that's what makes it more than just a bunch of insane things happening around the reader because that gets boring very fast. I think there are authors who try to write in this sphere or in the action sphere and they say, let's just throw as much at the wall as we possibly can. Let's just go hell for leather and put everything on the page and be as random and insane. And people will just love that and respond to that. The thing is, if there's no grounding reason for any of it, if there's no way in which it actually forces the characters to grow and change, then it's pointless. It means nothing and people switch off very quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And readers are smart, you know, especially, absolutely. you know, like I, I like how you know, all children's authors say, you know, that you're not going to write down to kids because kids are just they're so smart and, you know, we, we shouldn't underestimate them in that way. So what else I know you're working on high rise your adult fiction what else is going on creatively because you you made you script wrote a film that got made last year as well so what else is going on for you creatively yeah. so
1: so we've got the retirement plan the short film which is very close to final edits. It's I can't just having wait VFX. that? I can send you an early cut if you'd like to watch it.
0: Oh, um, premiere? Come on, I'm a premiere gal.
1: Yeah, okay. There will <laughs> there will definitely be a big screen premiere at some point, so maybe wait for that. But but yeah, so it's on um, so the the music's being scored at the moment. It's uh it's in the middle of Yeah, I, th- I think color grading's about to happen. That'll be the last thing. I think the sound mixing's almost done, the VFX is almost done, so it's very very close to finished and it will hopefully get a bit of a festival run next year at different short film festivals uh, i will say to people who like and read my books it it's its own thing but it does take place in the continuity of my books and features potentially a familiar face or two so you know, <laughs> not those, surprising those little, little tease, although although let's be real I'm pretty sure I've teased all of that like on my social media for a while now so I don't <laughs> think I'm I don't think I'm handing over any scoops here um beyond that I've got The Lodger out in April which is the sequel to The Hitchhiker my Audible original which was out in 2022 and I think The Lodger I'm, I'm kind of simultaneously really excited and really nervous for The Lodger because it's it's quite different to The Hitchhiker. It's more of a dark comedy than The Hitchhiker was. It, it still brings back the driver. It still brings back Maggie. It still kind of plays out their little twisted game. But there's some new characters and there's some new things going on. And I think it's simultaneously something that people who like The Hitchhiker and potentially my other work will find quite moving and quite effective but at the same time i think you'll laugh a lot more than you're probably expecting to you know, <laughs> in a really twisted way i kind of feel like all of my books in the adult sphere have flirted a little bit with black comedy and this one doesn't so much flirt with it as just full-on marries it so <laughs> so that's that. out in um in april on audible and then the hitchhiker itself speaking of which is getting a print release in uh in july or august i think so that will finally be able to sit on shelves next to the Hunt and the Inheritance and the Caretaker, which I'm really excited for. And then at some point this year, I don't know what the release date has been announced yet. I have the Lecter variations coming out, my nonfiction <laughs> nerdy deep dive into the entire Hannibal Lecter franchise. So this year is looking to be really, really big. So as usual, not, like fun, all but, your years, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. So so not not all that different. And then throughout all of this, I'm still working on High Rise, which is. Very close to finish at the time of talking. Um, I think I'm maybe a week off a of first draft. Oh, and that's then
0: exciting. A little bit. And
1: then I'll yeah. be out in 25. So right. I'm really excited for that one.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about that too. And something else I'm excited about is Somerset Story Fest is coming up in March. You're going to be there. I I'm going to be there. Jackie's going to be there. Joel McHero is going to be there. Belinda Morell is going to be there. So many awesome people are going to be there. I'm really excited. I think we're just going to in between... Our work, obviously. I think it's gonna just be a lot of talking and fun.
1: It is gonna be like a four day author party slash bender. Oh, I think. Can't <laughs> <Like> wait.
0: <it's, laughs> so no, excited. I mean
1: not that it's 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 set where we're gonna do a great job. It's gonna be fantastic. But that um, won't be the
0: restful four days though. We're gonna work no. hard and party hard. That's absolutely
1: the rule. we are. No, I can't wait. I'm just don't like, even get us hotel
0: rooms. We don't need them. We're just gonna oh, we're be out gonna sleep, all day, all night. <laughs>
1: We're just going to be going and getting second, third, fourth, and fifth wins the whole time. That's going to be it. No, I can't Fingers wait. It's be... And it's like, it's also, it's so fun because like I've come into state for, um, for festivals before, like, like Bad, for example, recently. But for this one, it's like the first time I've gotten to Properly travel for like a book for younger readers mm-hmm. so getting to sort of you know spend time promoting like middle grade and YA and everything and looking forward to all the workshops and stuff there it's going to be just so much fun I cannot right, wait right
0: I can't wait either so I just needed to bring that up because I the list sort of the official list came out this week in the official program and I haven't stopped pouring it over because I'm looking at my sessions and going oh when can I see the other sessions
1: <laughs> that's the problem when am I going to fit it in I've been it was bad it's like it's just yeah. But anyway you it's be
0: everywhere everywhere but you know what's really fun the green room is really fun because you just get to yeah. sit and chat and it's great and eat food so what's better we'll
1: probably we'll probably miss some sessions because we'll be too caught up in deep yes. philosophical conversations we'll... about whatever as, well, as long as we nonsense, don't
0: miss though. our own sessions we'll try really hard not to
1: miss yeah. our own sessions maybe go out of our way not to do that we might all need handlers <laughs> coming in there and just like kicking they, do. Us from room to they room. do
0: they have kids oh, there okay. and they've got you know their little glow vests vests on and they will come and get you so literally we can just talk and eat until someone gives us the sign, Gabe.
1: It's going to be great. Awesome. Then in that case, I don't have to take any responsibility for no, anything none. that do. None.
0: None. Comes... Perfect. <laughs> you got a bus that picks you up and takes you. You just literally have to wake up and put your clothes on. That's it. It's all you can do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, you know, I've asked you this question several times, but you know, we're creative people, so it changes. Why do you write, or why are you writing in twenty twenty four?
1: I think I'm writing in 2024 because I'm just sort of starting to think, I'm starting to realise that I've I've been so lucky in that the last few years I've been able to tell so many varied and different stories. And Andromache might be in some ways the most varied and different one yet. Like it's such a sort of move away from what I've been, you know, focusing more on recently. But I think the more I do things like this and the more I kind of stretch outside my comfort zone, and, and even the lodger was such a step outside what I was used to in this sphere, the more I think I want to push even further. I want to do mm, more and more different things. I love things. that. I want to challenge myself a bit more and everything. And I think now I'm sort of reaching a place where I'm finding that what's really exciting me is the chance to, you know, push new creative horizons. So, like, I was even looking at, like, Chris Hammer's most recent books and just thinking, God, I'd love to do something that takes place over, like, not multiple timelines that are a couple of days apart, but, like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 100 years apart. <laughs> and everything. And you know, I've wanted to do something like that for a long time. It's going to hurt research, too, right? Oh, totally. <laughs> but then I'm looking at it and I'm just thinking, I just have this like burning sense of jealousy of thinking, oh, that's really what I want to do at some point. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. it's things like that. It's kind of finding the things that I haven't done before and just thinking, you know what, I might absolutely screw this up, but I'm going to give it a red hot go anyway. And that's that's what's really exciting to me. And that's what's kind of driving me forward right now, yeah. I think.
0: But I, I love that idea too of being inspired and
1: encouraged by our creative peers like I find that really cool oh totally and even like most recently I was sort of talking to Audible about what I'll do for them next after the lodger and I just was thinking after reading Jack Heath's Kill Your Husbands which I loved and was one of my favorite books of last year I was thinking I really want to do something not like that but I really want to do a locked room murder mystery because I've never done Mm. that before like I think Mm. a lot of my books have kind of sat more in this uh this kind of you know fast paced, high octane action sphere. And the idea of seeing if I can do that as well. And and look, there's an extremely good chance I can't, but you have to kind of give it a red hot go to know if you can or you can't. So, so things like that, when I sort of look at the, the boundaries and the challenges my peers are setting for themselves and thinking, oh, well, I want to try something like that, but with my own little twist here, or I want to, push this in a different direction or whatever it might be and that's just incredibly energizing I think
0: yeah no I love that and that's what I love so much about this industry not only do we celebrate everybody's success and everybody's books like you just go to any book launch and there's a whole lot of other writers there which is so fantastic and it's just it's an incredible feeling that we're celebrating that we're inspired that we're encouraged by our peers and it's one of the best communities you can be part of I think
1: well, everyone's just always rooting for each other, you know, there's no Absolutely. there's no competition, there's no, no. undermining. I don't no. think there's any real like bitterness or bitchiness or whatever. It's just no. we all know how, hard, we know it how hard it is. We all it know is. How- <laughs> exactly. And when a friend succeeds on a massive level, you don't sit there and go, Oh, I'm jealous, you sit there and go, Yes, good, yeah. because I know I feel, how much strive right. I
0: feel so excited and then I just share it in my stories. I'm like, totally. everyone else needs to know about this.
1: <laughs> and it's just it's thrilling. It's thrilling to, to see something like that and just go, wow, like you've just gone stratospheric. And That's it's right. and it's awesome because because we all know, we all uniquely know and we all are uniquely placed to know just what a slog it can be and just yeah. how moralising it can be. So That's the more right. where it's not are really worth celebrating That's in right. every scenario.
0: And we know that there are, you know, so many rejections before you get that non-rejection so you know that rejection probably cost you a couple of rejections to get there now this is probably
1: close to a hundred
0: yeah yeah a lot i've 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 started counting but i think i've i've forgotten a few maybe I've wiped them from my memory. I'm not sure, but I started to go. I can't wait to look at this, you know, for for other writers as well, because I work with a lot of um, writers across all the different hats I wear. And I thought I think it's kind of good to be transparent about your own journey as well, you know, to it's, it's slog oh, for it's, everybody. It is
1: one of the most important things to me is transparency, and and you know, I know some people who say, oh, I, I don't want to sort of lift the curtain and sort of mm, and that's days. fine. It's, that's totally fine. It's I'm an open book, though. Really, I feel like I'm the same. You know, whether it's Blogs, newsletter, social media posts, whatever. I like to, I like to show as much as I can. It goes into it because I know yeah, how valuable that is for people. Sort of on the way up, and it's and it's funny because I remember as a kid, you hear that famous anecdote of oh J.K. Rowling was rejected nine times for Harry Potter got published. And mm. I go only nine? Are you insane? <laughs> like nine times? That's a story. <laughs> yeah, come on. Seriously. <laughs> I love and people so that. people well. say that as if it's like such an inspirational, you know, like, I mean, obviously she overcame other odds, but like, you know, as if nine rejections would be enough to completely crush you. And I'm like, try 200, man. Like, I probably even had more than that. Like, it's not... Yeah. Yeah. Nine is nine is a pittance. Uh, Nine is walk in the park,
0: mate, walk in the park. But I think before I was a published writer as well, like those posts just went, okay, this is part of the process, you know, this is, this is part of the process. And if I want to be part of this industry and I I want to choose this as one of my careers, then, you know, you need to accept all that comes with that.
1: hundred percent.
0: So now you're my first interview for 2024. Oh, awesome! You
1: are awesome. <laughs> first interview for Oh
0: I <laughs> Synergy, fair. synergy. I love that. And yeah, I was looking go. forward because I, I do, I do have a break in January, but then it gets to the end of January, and I do actually miss it. I'm like, oh, I need to get back well, it's talking to a people.
1: Case, isn't it? And it's like, it's funny. Like, I'm glad that I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm always glad that you're the first. You're often the first interview I do for any of my books. But like, because I think I've got two or three Andromache interviews coming up next week because the book's out next week at the time of recording, anyway. Mm. And I'm sort of like, I think they're almost all with people I haven't been interviewed by before okay, yeah. and to you know, be polished by them exactly it's like so i'm like you're a friendly face and i know that you know i'll i'll be relaxed which means i might be a little bit more coherent and then hopefully by the time it comes to the what i'm hoping you're not unfriendly faces i'll um i'll you know be so well rehearsed and so refined that i'll be able to just like power through without a problem
0: love that now 2024 doing something a bit different you know open book transparency all of that you get to ask me one question at the end i know i've given you no preparation
1: oh my god yeah about anything first but also like first first interview of 2024 i'm the first person asking you this question this is like yeah, this yeah. is a huge amount of pressure danny this Does is no like no. this is no small thing okay, I know. okay. Cool. um oh, okay no i want to ask you something real i don't want to ask you just okay. like something something casual and throwaway and it's gonna be something it's going be something real and writing related and okay okay here's a question for you
0: because i put people on the spot all the time right so i feel like i need to get a taste of my own medicine at the end so hit me
1: so, look, you've had a couple of children's books out recently. You've got a couple more on the go, at least a couple more on the go. What is the one genre that you would love to write more than any other in the world?
0: Mm, that's a really great question, and I think it keeps changing. So, you probably know that I was really trying hard to write crime, 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 crime. It takes a really long time. I know you know that. Not tell mm-hmm. <laughs> you you don't know. <laughs> yes. um, <I'm> too well. <laughs> had a couple of rejections, and so I wasn't. Um, I wasn't you know sad about that and that's not what i what stopped me but then i didn't know that i had this love absolute love of writing junior fiction so i started writing picture books and i find that really fun because i'm an old english teacher i love the idea of you know poetry and few words and trying to sort of mold them into something that's fun but then i just started loving writing junior fiction and because it's just so fun and it's quick, right? Fifteen thousand, eighteen thousand words, and you know, when I say quick, it took months. But you know, it's it's a it's a quicker process to edit rather than ninety thousand words. But and so I think it, my answer changes all the time. You asked me a year ago, I would have said crime. Asked me six months ago, I would have said junior fiction. Now I'm going to say middle grade, which is actually very appropriate for this interview, because I feel like I've I've done the picture book and junior fiction's on its way, and I'd really like to take a a good bite at, at giving a crack at middle grade. So a little bit longer, a little bit age group up and being able to explore maybe some more serious issues. Cause I've written um, you know a lot of funny slapstick stuff, which I love cause it just brings me joy and makes me present. But um yeah, I'd like to give a crack middle grade with some serious issue topics. So I have written one, but who knows? I'll let you know if it's gonna get, if it gets rejected or if it gets loved, it's
1: who knows. The other good thing about middle grade and this this is something that i found working on andromache is that this i mean this might be maybe maybe it's the worst kept secret maybe it's the best kept secret i I don't really know but i feel like people don't realize that in middle grade you actually get more freedom not not only in terms of the the craziness of the content but i think you get more freedom thematically than you do in ya for example Mm -hmm. Like you would think in ya i can go to darker territory and yes you can but I think the territory you can go to in YA is also kind of restricted. You know, mm. there's sort of a certain pool of things that YA books are expected to talk about and delve into. Mm. And I think that YA comes with a lot more stipulations than people think it does. It's not yeah. that liberating. Whereas with middle grade, I feel like you can explore all kinds of ideas as long as they're done in a way that is somewhat palatable. But you have a lot more freedom to go yeah. to those areas a lot more than I think people assume there is. So I think that I makes think a, a lot of sense,
0: answer. actually. I think that makes a lot of sense because when with YA, you you're, total different readership. You know, they're 100%. really moving into adulthood, so you know they probably want less of that. You know, unless it's a true fantasy, and they're fantasy fans, but more sort of steeped in that more gritty reality. So yeah, it's, I imagine, that's different. So that's good, good tip. So next time when we come together, you can go. Did that book ever get published, Danny? And then I'll have to confess to whether it was rejected or not. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which will be pretty um, obvious because it will either be in the world or it won't be
1: well yeah there is that but i'll, I'll make sure that question is like loaded in the barrel so that i can you know, <laughs> spring it on you the next time we're here and while you're like privately hoping that i'd forgotten about it and it wouldn't ever come up ever again
0: <laughs> well like we said it's all part of the business and so you have to take the good with the uh you know not so good and the learning from it so Absolutely. it's all all good and maybe like we said before maybe those rejections are just because that idea is not ready yet or fully formed yet and maybe it will be in another year or however long it takes so
1: you never know when it's time when it's time will come
0: exactly exactly as always gabe pleasure talking to you i'm really looking forward to you know our catch-ups we're having over the next few months um and i'm sure there'll be more book talk film talk where people can't get a word in edgeway so to all to it. <laughs> yeah. and good luck with all your book launches and um you know i hope this book is just a phenomenal success because it's, it's beautiful and it's fun and it's adventurous
1: thank you daddy i really appreciate that